0: Welcome to episode two of the Dunked On NBA podcast. I'm Nate Duncan here with Danny LaRue. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the playoff implication games for tonight. Uh, Also, Danny was at uh, Golden State Memphis, so he's going to share his thoughts on that. And we'll go through some of the scenarios for the playoffs and also the lottery as well, which is going to have some interesting implications in terms of the protected picks that may be conveyed or not conveyed. Uh, Dave, why don't we start with the game that you were at, uh, Golden State and Memphis. I I was out to dinner. I didn't see any of it. Uh, Tell us what happened.
1: It was, I, I said on Twitter, it was the weirdest game that I've covered. I've been covering the NBA for six seasons. Why it was so strange is that Clay Thompson had his second true explosion quarter. He had 26 points in the second quarter, and the Warriors blew the doors off Memphis. They were up a, just a ton of points. I think it was in the near 30 range. And then they pulled the starters, and Memphis outscored the Warriors, I believe it was 40-18 to 18 in the fourth quarter alone, and covered the spread but did not win the game. So it was just two, basically two different games, but Clay's dominance should still be the story, even though it was mostly in the first half.
0: Well, so so I know Tony Allen didn't play. Uh, How was he getting all of his points?
1: A lot of it was being guarded by Nicolathus, but the Warriors did a great job of getting open looks for him, and he was just on fire. The only shot he missed in the first half was a 29-footer. He just decided, I'm going to take it, and it got pretty close to going in. And that was at the early part before he really went insane. And there were a couple more opportunities where – Coach Kerr said after the game that he was frustrated at how much they were feeding Clay but there were two moments that I can think of where he was wide open but the pass couldn't get to him because the Grizzlies were playing the pass so who knows he could have gotten closer to 50 even though he didn't play the fourth quarter.
0: Um and so I mean do do you take anything away from the fact that Memphis came back in the second half or is that just more uh Marv voice garbage time uh foibles for the Warriors?
1: I think it's mostly garbage time foibles for the Warriors. It's not the greatest thing, but it was backups versus backups. Jordan Adams, I think, dropped 19 mostly in the fourth quarter. I take a lot more from the first three, but as you said, Tony Allen didn't play, so and Mike Conley didn't either, so two of the best perimeter defenders were out for Memphis. I don't think Nick Calathis is going to spend a ton of time on Klay Thompson if these teams play in the playoffs, but at the same time, Clay Thompson had had some trouble recently getting his offense going. He hadn't been that guy for the last couple of weeks, and so to remind everybody, including himself, that he has this and that he can bring it out, because the Warriors are going to need that at some point during their playoff run.
0: You mentioned Jordan Adams, and this time of year is always kind of interesting because you'll see a lot of these guys who were drafted and we're all excited about, and then you know we've have now been completely forgotten about uh, all year. I'll talk a little bit about uh, Clint Capella and uh, Noah Vonley from the Charlotte Houston game that I watched. But so Jordan Adams was someone that you followed closely since UCLA is your alma mater. Uh, How did, how did he look? How was he getting his points?
1: He was taking some tough shots and making them. He also had the benefit that there were some lapses in the Warriors defense, which is actually surprising because their backup bench lineup is largely perimeter defenders. But he he made some hard shots and he got a lot of looks. It wasn't one of the I think he was something like five of thirteen, so it wasn't like he was doing what Clay Thompson did and making everything that he had, but it was still impressive. He also got to the line, which was which was good. But yeah, I mean, it's a nice step for guys like that. They're not gonna really get that many minutes against starters. So it's nice to see people like that show it up show up whenever they have the opportunity, even if it is what seemed like it was gonna be a blowout until it wasn't.
0: All right, anything else you, uh, you want to talk about from that game?
1: Well, the other thing that's important for the Warriors is Festus Ezeli actually played, and he played pretty well. And I feel like, especially if Memphis ends up on Golden State's side of the bracket, that is a very important development for this team because he is their backup defensive center. And so that was good that he played well and Clay's explosion, but that's really it. Yeah,
0: Ezeli is a guy who I was real down on early on in the in the year because you know he was missed all last year due to injury he really struggles to catch the ball he also really struggles to kind of operate at the elbows doing the dribble handoffs that the Warriors really like and you know he's still not a great offensive player he's not someone you're going to throw it to in the post but he's certainly improved his hands a little bit and you know it's getting to where he can at least finish like direct line pick-and-rolls with nobody in front of him, which was, was a challenge for him earlier. I still think, though, that he is someone who kind of works better with the starters because as yet another guy who can't shoot and can't really do much offensively, when you've got guys like Livingston and, and Igudala and him all on the floor at the same time, uh, the defense will obviously be awesome, but I, I think it's really hard for them to score when he plays, but nonetheless, that, that shouldn't obscure that he's been a pleasant surprise this season.
1: Yeah, I think that's the right way to put it. So let's talk about the games that you watched tonight.
0: All right, so I I caught kind of the end of the Houston Charlotte game. That really was never close. Houston was up by ten pretty much throughout the entire second half, and Charlotte was was playing mostly the B team. Um, you know, I mean, I watched the last probably eighteen minutes of the game at various points. I didn't see Kemba Walker play. The front court was Max Seal and Noah Vonley most of the time. Vonley, he hit a, a nice easy three from the top of the key, which was encouraging. I mean, I think that's going to be really one of the maker breaks for him as a guy who's going to be able to contribute as he goes forward. He's has a really long wingspan and is someone who has decent quickness at the power forward position. Not a great rim protector but someone who can at least defend his position pretty well he's a great rebounder and being able to hit that shot is what's going to be the difference for him especially on a charlotte team that starved for outside shooting in the other facets so it was encouraging to see that he tried to put it on the deck a couple of times it didn't really get too far but that's not a huge surprise if you watch him a lot in college but you know, I think there's still hope for him. A lot of a lot of people may have kind of written him off, but he was a young freshman, and hopefully he can be a little better this year, uh, or I'm sorry, next year uh, after a whole summer. And then he also had that hernia surgery, which set him back as well. So uh, at least there's a little bit of hope for Charlotte. It's good to see those guys get some time.
1: And did Clint Capella play at all? It sounded like he did.
0: Yeah, he did. Uh, he actually made some free throws. <laughs> Someone I, on Twitter who I, I can't remember said that until he got over 25% free throws, because he hadn't actually even made any free throws, I think, before tonight, uh, that they're going to call him Swiss Miss until he gets above 25% free throws, which I thought was was kind of funny. But I like that. He's uh, He's got pretty good athleticism. He showed off some nice ability to finish around the rim, and his D-League stats have been pretty good. Not someone who I'd expect to get any time in the playoffs, but he was playing in a game that Houston needed to win tonight, so that was good to see. Um, But yeah, I mean, not much to take away from that game. It's pretty much, you know, like many of these games were tonight, uh, pretty much exactly a chalk result, what you would expect, given the stakes and the uh, players who were available for each team. The Rockets didn't play Dwight Howard at all. That didn't really matter too much for them. That's that's part of why Capella was playing.
1: And along with the chalk theme, the other game that I watched a fair portion of is the Oklahoma City-Portland game, which had its exciting conceptual moments because obviously it was so important for Oklahoma city because they it was a must win in, in the purest sense for them. But Portland just didn't have, they didn't bring their entire a team if we're going to go with that analogy. And they also, they just were outclassed in in the beginning to the end of the game. And so that also sets up another dynamic, but Oklahoma city, they took care of business. Yes. They had Russell Westbrook, his technical did get rescinded. And so he got to play, and now it sets the table for a uh, legitimately compelling Wednesday final day of the league for that for those teams, but there's also an important Tuesday, too.
0: Yeah, so where are we at now in the playoff picture? I mean, we, we saw the Pelicans, they, they won tonight, the Thunder won, uh, Grizzlies lost, um, Blazers lost, though that doesn't really matter, Rockets won. So where are we at now in the West?
1: Okay, so in the West, I'll start with the bottom because it's really easy. Pelicans and Thunder are tied. Pelicans have the tiebreaker. So that means that for Oklahoma City to make it, the Thunder need to win and the Pelicans need to lose. Fortunately for Oklahoma City, they face Minnesota. They should win that game. Then the other huge game is the Pelicans host the Spurs, who tying it in with the upper part of the bracket. The Spurs have plenty to play for because the 2 seed is a little bit more open now for that Memphis is out so that now there're only 3 teams that have 26 losses that have 26 losses and the clippers do not have the tiebreaker on either the spurs or the rockets because they would be a division winner. However, the clippers if they win out would probably get the 3 seed because of other reasons that they don't get the tiebreaker on the division winner but they will on the other team. So realistically, those three teams if they win are are going to be in those top spots. Memphis is in a fascinating position because they're right now they're in the in the 6th spot. It looks like they're going to be there against the 3 which presumably is going to be the Clippers, but things could move around a lot. No nothing is set other than that Memphis will not win the division.
0: Oh, one thing I did want to ask you. How did uh, Mike Conley did not play tonight, right? Uh uh how did Gasol look after that ankle sprain on Saturday?
1: He looked better than I expected. You could tell that he wasn't perfect. There were a couple times that I saw some hitch in his giddy up. Just you saw him when he was turning around, but he had some moves where he, you know, he he went with the ball and he crossed the lane and tried to do a hook shot and things like that. So, which is a move that from my imagination would be very difficult to do if you weren't feeling perfectly comfortable on your ankle just with the way the movement is. So, that was encouraging in the sense that I, I still don't think he should play a lot of minutes. He didn't play a lot. I think he played 22. But that's good in terms of Saturday or Sunday when they, the games really start for them, that he should be ready, let's say.
0: Do you know who, uh, who has the tiebreak between the Rockets and Clippers?
1: Yeah, the Clippers do. So that is that is the dynamic it there's a a weird hypothetical um like kind of kind of situation out there actually i think memphis losing might have clarified that but yeah the clippers have tiebreakers over the spurs and the rockets
0: how about uh between the clippers and grizzlies
1: well so there you're going into assuming uh, between the clippers and grizzlies so that would require that the clippers lost if the clippers yeah, lose it, well, and the grizzlies win then I believe that the um, that oh yeah that tiebreaker is act is um, I think I think the Clippers will win it, but I'm honestly not completely sure.
0: Well, the, the reason I brought that up is if you're the Clippers, maybe you just lose. I mean, you know, they're at Phoenix; they could just arrest everybody. They I and mean, you see what happens there, obviously. But I mean, if they could lose and then be assured of or at least have a better chance of getting that 5 seed we talked about with the juicy matchup with the Blazers in the first round and considering you got to still beat the Spurs and the Warriors anyway probably uh maybe that's what you want to go for and you could give yourself a decent chance there but that's uh, uh you know the, that's always fraught with peril because you don't necessarily know what the other teams are going to do but uh that 5th seed is a juicy matchup with the Blazers who in getting back to that game against OKC, uh, Nick Batum. I think it, it looked like a foot to me, but I think then it, uh, it was reported as a knee later on. Have you heard what what the latest is with him? I haven't seen anything yet.
1: I have not seen anything yet. It, it I didn't look horrible from what I saw, but it also like it didn't. I, I it was hard. It was hard to tell. I w- it was just concerning and sad because Portland had no reason to win that game.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, but you can't just not play guys at all i guess i mean it happened in the first quarter when things were still somewhat competitive yep. but yeah so i um well so why don't we get back now to a feature that i've been hoping to introduce more often as time goes on and that is something we disagree about uh and so today's topic is going to be what west team has the best chance of upsetting the Warriors or the Spurs outside of the Clippers.
1: So uh, I'll start. And for me, that team is the Memphis Grizzlies. It's hard because they're not playing healthy right now, but we have to be thinking about this, not now, but about two weeks from now, because that's when the next series would start. Because if you're thinking about upsetting them, I think you're going more for the second or third round. And, Memphis's ceiling is still super high. They're a great defensive team. They are a team that has already beaten the Spurs in the playoffs. Well, well, well
0: hold on, hold on. I mean, the first thing you got to do if you're going to beat one of those teams is actually win in the first round, right? I mean, if they're, if they're not healthy, uh, what makes you think they even get out of the first round?
1: That's a great point. I, I think that – I guess that's me thinking that they'll be the five seed and so they'll face Portland, but that's true that if they don't get that spot, then they're going to have probably the Clippers, and that would be a tough out. That's a great point before we get into the sub, actually, I think one of the most interesting questions is about ceilings because I'm guessing the other team that's a contender here is Houston. How do you see the, let's say the best case scenario for Houston and the best case scenario for Memphis?
0: Yeah, I guess. So for Houston, I think it's that you continue to play real good defense. Howard uh, can, can kind of get back to being a force and, that Harding goes off and the other team can't stop him. I think that's sort of where you're ending up. Uh, Now, it's going to be harder for them to play great defense with Beverly being out, obviously. Um, Muddy Eunice he wasn't really too key to the defense. Um, So I think his loss is perhaps less damaging than Patrick Beverly's. But, yeah, I think Houston, you just have two players on that team who can get to an unbelievable level, potentially. I don't expect that out of Dwight Howard. And, you know, Harden is also is going to need to prove that he can be real good in the playoffs in the same way that he has in the regular season. But with those two guys, I think if everything comes together for them in the unlikely event it does, they have a better chance of upsetting than Memphis, who I think is just not quite going to be able to score enough to really be a huge threat.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you that the Memphis offense is definitely limiting, and they hope that Jeff Green would do more for that, and I don't think that he has, and I'm guessing you agree with me there.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it, how Jeff Green is, it, a lot of people think that he's kind of torpedoed their season, and, you know, I, I don't go quite that far because they were always playing over their heads, even, you know, when they were a very solid number two in the West. Their point differential was below some of the other teams, and I think it was only in like kind of the mid-threes, low fours. So they're always a little bit overrated. But, yeah, I mean, and and now, though, who's going to take that spot other than Jeff Green? I mean, they, they kind of need another wing there, regardless whether you like him or not.
1: Yeah, I don't think Jordan Adams is ready yet, and I've been really disappointed with Courtney Lee. He's a guy that I've liked for basically his whole career. I've said almost every time he's been traded that the team that got him won the trade, but he hasn't brought it this year in the way that I hoped.
0: Um. All right. So, are, are you done with your uh, with with your Memphis defense, or have I just completely convinced you? Are you caving in, or are you uh, are you sticking to your guns here?
1: I'm sticking to my guns because I think that their defense is a more reliable way. I also think that there's a historical precedent there with with that team against other opponents. And I think that, again, the ceiling argument to me holds a lot of weight for Memphis. They're one of those teams who, particularly in the first half, it looked like they were the second best team in the West. And while they haven't been that team very much in the last, let's say, six weeks, I still think they have it inside them, and I think that if they can get remotely healthy, I'm such a big Mike Conley fan, and Marcus Gasol is a phenomenal player, and so if those guys can get close to right, I think they're one of those teams that they can push it to six or seven, and yeah, no matter what, probably they would be facing the Spurs or the Warriors in the seventh game on the road, but if they can make it ugly, I think they'd have a shot. I think that is a more cohesive reliable path to a win against either of those teams than the Rockets have though I agree with you that the Rockets have a respectable chance at it
0: yeah and, and I, I this was definitely real close to me I didn't mean to be dismissive of Memphis at all I think your your point that especially Tony Allen if he can do to uh there's the other team's star what he did to Kevin Durant for most of that series last year and Conley is, is a great defender as well I mean you know, maybe Memphis can shut the other team down and and make it a slog. And there's also some evidence indicating that what you do at the beginning of the year is just as predictive as what you do at the end of the year. So that would certainly tend to indicate that Memphis might be a little better than we think they are now. But they got to get healthy. And the Rockets, I mean, they're 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 not healthy, but at least you know they are used to playing without those guys they know they're not going to be around whereas Memphis you've got all these nagging injuries to Allen and Conley and Gasol so that's uh, that's going to be a big problem for them if they can't get healthy
1: yeah definitely agreed one thing I wanted to ask you is that we're going into a, a pretty light Tuesday schedule to me the biggest game is Toronto at Boston because those both teams still have at least something to go for what what would you look for as kind of a pivot point for that game
0: I think Boston might have actually already clinched the seventh seed. Am I wrong about that? I... Yeah, I think I think they did. Uh, the only way that they... I know they have the tiebreaker over the Pacers, and I don't know whether they do over the Nets or not, but I think I actually read that they uh, clinched the seventh seed, so they may not actually have that much to play for. Um, the The Raptors obviously do. They're still trying to get the three seed, and they're only a half game behind the Bulls still, so... Uh yeah, I mean, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm not sure that uh Boston has anything to play for tomorrow.
1: I think you're right. I think I stand corrected when I had thought about it, I wasn't thinking about it after the Nets lost to the Bulls, so I think you're right that they're pretty that they're pretty settled there and but the Raptors still do have something to play for because they're still trying to get the they have the tiebreaker over the Bulls, but they want that 3C we talked about it yesterday that that could be very important in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, so what else do we have tomorrow? Any anything else interesting? Most of it's on Wednesday, right?
1: Yeah, so Wednesday every team plays, so including the the six teams that play tomorrow and the other game so the other games are the Clippers against the Suns, which is a game that we already talked about as as having some importance. And then the other game is the Wizards at the Pacers. The Wizards the only way that they can move out of their position is i believe if the raptors lose out and the wizards win out which is kind of tough and the pacers need to do what they're going to do in order to keep their snowball's chance alive so that game could be compelling as well the you're also when you're the wizards you're balancing the desire to be healthy with the desire to you know to win, to finish the season strong so that game i think is going to be worth keeping an eye on as well
0: What's what's your prediction for that Washington-Indiana game?
1: I think that Indiana is going to win it. Honestly, I think they're playing at home. They're At that point, they're not going to know anything about whether they're in or they're out. And I have to be, if I'm the Pacers, I have to be amped up for that. And the Wizards, it's a real, real distant shot that they have anything else. They've already shown that even at, when that was less distant, that they were willing to rest their guys. So... I think that's basically it's the game of the season for the Pacers, which would then be followed by the game of the season again against Memphis. But I lean Pacers in that. I also think that Indiana has the talent to make Washington work. George Hill fits well in terms of making life hard on John Wall. Paul George isn't Paul George yet. And Hibbert's rim protection this year, while not what it was last year, is still potent.
0: Yeah, so part of why the Pacers have a chance is because the Bulls absolutely waxed the Nets uh, on the road tonight, 113-86. to I watched uh, a good portion of this game, and really, the Nets had no chance of stopping anybody, and it was really just the second straight completely desultory performance in a row for them, and now uh, they're going to be... behind the Pacers. If the Pacers can win out, then that'll be it for the Nets. And uh, since they're going to be swapping picks with Atlanta this year, they don't even get the benefit of, of being in the lottery. I mean, this game was notable to me in a couple of reasons, and I had a few observations. One was just that you know, this Nets team, the reason that they are in the position that they're in, you can talk about, oh, they made the trade for kg and pierce neither of them are around anymore but that's not they didn't give up any assets really in the short term the reason that they are in the position they're in now is that joe johnson and darren williams just aren't good enough anymore brooke lopez has really held up his end of the bargain this year as far as what you would have expected especially since he came back from injury uh into the new year but joe johnson at this point doesn't really do anything at an above average level he's not more efficient than the league average he's right about at 20% usage he's averaging i think about 14 points a game and you know Darren Williams is just a PR slightly above the league average and and with Joe Johnson going against Jimmy Butler just was not a fair matchup he would try to post him up to his iso joe and unless he got bailed out by a bad foul call he just had nothing
1: If you were in this Brook Lopez's situation, this is a little bit of an aside, but it is relevant. He has a player option for next year. What would you be thinking about if you were his agent in terms of advising him on what to do?
0: Oh, you got to get, while well, the getting's good now um, because he could get injured again at any time. And, and as, as others have talked about, another foot injury for him, and that could be the end of his career. You, He had about as good of a year as you could have expected. To the extent the Nets stayed in the playoff race, it was in large part the result of Lopez's outstanding efforts. And although he has his limitations defensively and and on the boards, he's a great scorer, and there's still some people who really covet that. So I think I could see him opting out and uh, you know maybe resigning with the Nets or going elsewhere. But if you only have one year left. Uh, I would imagine that he could get on an annual basis for an extension beyond that year, pretty close to what he's scheduled to get next year.
1: Yeah, and he has the benefit that while there are a bevy of big man options in this class, I don't think many of them are going to be changing addresses. So it should be a, a good market for him in terms of a team, let's say, once the music stops on a couple of guys that they're sitting there looking to make an upgrade one of those teams could be the la lakers we don't really know but there will be a market for him and i agree with you that the long term is more important even if he has to take a downgrade in terms of his value and as you said he can't afford the risk of waiting until the larger cap because even though there's a possibility that he could make more money then the risk is just way high
0: so uh- Let's, from the Chicago standpoint, they, they play great defensively, which is one of the most encouraging things for them, even though uh, you know we didn't see uh, Joakim Noah play at all. Um, and Jimmy Butler looked great with his mid-range jumper. Taj Gibson really dominated Thaddeus Young on the inside. He had a great game starting at, at Power Forward in Noah's stead. And uh, Nikola Mirotic also had a great game. He was 6 of 11 on threes. The Nets couldn't get out of him. He was playing at his preferred position of power forward since they only had those three front court guys without Noah and, of course, played well, as he usually seems to do when he's actually playing his natural position. Another thing that struck me was that Mirotic has become a much better defender than I thought. He had some really embarrassing moments early in the year, like, one which was very vinable where he's crossed up by Kemba Walker and he just wasn't able to switch out on guys the way Thibodeau's system demanded, but he's actually now been able to do that and he's in great cardio shape. He's all over the floor and he's really has become, at least to my eyes, a quality defender at the four position. Um, two other things to uh, Derek Rose, just his three point shot is still totally broken. He, when he takes them, he jumps as high as he can, but he will shoot on the way down. Almost always the shot will be flat and short. And he also somehow manages to land at a 90-degree angle from, from the basket, You know, just twisting his body to the left every time, which he doesn't do necessarily on his shorter jump shots. I think that he really, to be most effective, should just be taking a set shot from three-point range, which he can knock down a little better, which I've seen him do. Uh, And then, you know, kind of like Chris Paul does, he shoots more of a set shot from three-point range. And if he doesn't have enough room to get that set shot off, it's not a shot he should be taking unless it's low clock.
1: Yeah, that's some great insight. And I'm excited because I think that we'll be ending the first round more excited about the Bulls than we are right now. And that's a good thing for the Eastern Conference, especially because that will add some drama to the second round.
0: Well, I hope so. I still think that Washington is a team that might cause them some trouble, especially if, again, Gasol and Noah ends up being the preferred front-court partnership for Tom Thibodeau. Neither of those guys match up very well with their Washington counterparts, Mm -hmm. whereas Miritich and Gibson have the quickness to have an advantage on those guys and get at least a little bit more floor spacing than Noah would provide at the four. Mm Mm-hmm. So I I would still worry about them as a as a Chicago guy facing the Wizards I definitely am hoping that they are able to uh that somebody's able to pin a loss on Toronto here before the end of the year and that the Bulls are able to take the third seed and play Milwaukee who I think they can handle relatively easily.
1: Agreed. Two small things I wanted to mention because I think this podcast would be incomplete without it. One, somehow the Knicks won, which is absolutely insane because now they, unless Minnesota somehow wins their game against Oklahoma City, who is playing to win, they gave up the most ping pong balls. Obviously that is not determinative. It's not a super heavy weighted lottery towards the team with the worst record, but it is kind of inconceivable in that sense, except that it's the Knicks that they would spend the entire season just losing and losing and losing and then pick it up. Now the second one you and I have talked in the past on, on my podcast about the scourge that is pick protection. And we could get one of those crazy dynamics with the Miami heat because Miami has a top ten protected pick, and right now they are in the 10th spot, but they face the Philadelphia seventy sixers in the last game of the year. If they who
0: has their pick, by the way, who has uh, who they has are the their ones f- who will get it. They have all the incentive in the world to lose that game.
1: Yeah, it's the other perverse incentive pull after the Sixers and Lakers games from er- from <laughs> earlier a couple weeks ago, and so you have that situation and what it would require is if the Nets or Pacers lose out, they would tie and it would go to a coin flip, which for pick protection aficionados is a direct parallel to what happened to the Golden State Warriors in 2012 when they tanked to keep their pick, but then still got in a tie with the Raptors, won the coin flip, kept the pick and drafted Harrison Barnes. But it's just another kind of weird drama with picks and protection.
0: Well, you... To quote Enigo uh, Montoya, with the word "inconceivable" in the Knicks, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means.
1: <laughs> That's a fair point, especially with the Knicks. <laughs> I, I was sitting there. I was sitting there. I was traveling to Oracle, and I, I, I was just like, "There's a chance they're going to win." And then I got into the media room, and I asked somebody, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. It was just astonishing. Because <laughs> also, I mean, it's another one of those we talked about it with the Celtics. Is just a game that on paper they beat the Hawks in Atlanta. If the, if the season had gone differently, that's a game that Atlanta might have needed to win, but they really, really didn't. So the Knicks got burned again late, and that's the way it shakes out.
0: Um, so one thing to close on, too, the Oklahoma City, their last game is at Minnesota. That's the same game that New Orleans played today. It's really pretty difficult to imagine Minnesota winning that game because their, their front court, the, the three guys they were playing was uh, – Arente Onuaku, uh, Justin Hamilton, and I believe Robbie Hummel were the three guys that they're playing up front. So probably not going to win too many NBA games. And then they have uh, Zach Levine, and Wiggins really is the only guy you can point to as even an average NBA player who is getting minutes for them uh, at this point, and I assume it will be much the same. When they play on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, it, it will be much the same. And as we said, Oklahoma City has so much to play for that it, it just seems like it's lambs getting led to the slaughter. But it's a really nice set of lambs. I'm I'm I, covering them in person. I was impressed with both Levine and Andrew Wiggins. I think that they have a future. That future is just not Wednesday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that that I noted in watching that game is I'm really starting to worry about Ryan Anderson. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who, you know, obviously has struggled with the back injury that he had. He, you know, he, he missed time with some lower body injuries that he's just coming back from. But even before then, he he's plays as a stretch four. But you start to wonder at this point with him, and he, would, he went two of eight in 18 minutes tonight. And, uh, you know, while Alexis Aginta played 17 minutes... Uh, So really as much time as he did, frankly, that you wonder what he provides that just an average three-point shooting wing wouldn't provide playing at the fort, you know, because he's not really, he's not able to get on the offensive glass and convert quite the way that he was because he doesn't have the lift. He's just a complete traffic cone in the pick and roll and defending the rim. And, you know, he's shooting okay from three-point range, but that's really pretty much the only skill that he's been able to utilize, uh, especially in these last few games. So I think we might expect to see him continuing to lose some time. Um, And especially when you're the other team, if they're playing a team that can go small, uh, when he's on the floor, he's going to have all sorts of trouble defending, and you're not really at much of a disadvantage because he's not really going to post you up effectively in his current state.
1: Yeah, and current state is a hopeful thing in terms of that he could get better from this, but what, why it's so important is because New Orleans has some really big decisions to make in their future, and if you're thinking of Ryan Anderson more as a back of the rotation piece as opposed to a front of the rotation piece, that totally changes what you're looking for on the rest of the big men spots, and I would say even at small forward because you're thinking of it differently. If, it's, if Ryan Anderson's at one of the three-headed monster, maybe he's the fourth or fifth big in your rotation.
0: All right, well, so anything else uh, on your mind before we uh, call it quits?
1: I think, I think that hits Monday pretty well. I'm excited for the limited amount that we have Tuesday, but it should be compelling at the very least because we have some teams with some things to play for.
0: All right, sounds good. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow night. Talk to you guys then.